You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, how I've missed you folks. I just, I just miss you. I'm also a little bit delirious because I woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I have no idea why. And I was upset about it, and then I started looking at stuff and just kind of getting distracted by things and found some stuff I want to spend money on. Went down that rabbit hole. Suddenly I'm, you know, at three o'clock in the morning I woke up and I didn't hardly even consider any of these things. And suddenly it's like, I have to spend all this money or my life is over. (laughs) And then I was like, you know what? Let's just do the podcast. And I don't know. I just got excited. I was like, yeah, we should do the podcast. We got stuff to talk about, man. Playoffs start today. Teams, playoff hopefuls, getting eliminated. By the way, Packer fans, I know you you don't realize sometimes that these things happen because it's only the Packers that have their dreams crushed. It's only the Packers that show promise but can't finish, that can't close. It's only the Packers that are national disappointments. Everybody else wins the Super Bowl. I understand. I get that. All good teams win Super Bowls. The Packers don't, therefore the Packers are frauds. I understand. But today is a special day because it's the first time ever we will get to watch as um, other teams that are hopefuls lose. Now, granted, I think it's kind of a long shot that um, too many of the underdogs get eliminated, or excuse me, the underdogs win, specifically the... uh, You know what? Forget it. We're not. I'm not even going. We'll see what happens. We will just have to see what happens. Bottom line, though. Bottom line, the Packers win this weekend. And, I, and honestly, that is kind of an important point because I was thinking about it. And um, some people kind of take the the bye week curse to the extreme in saying that um, you know it's not really worth it. It's actually worse to get the bye because then you kind of fall out of that groove. But if you think about it, it's an automatic win. The bye week is a win. And so you could probably pretty easily use some pretty basic math to determine whether or not you want the bye week. And I'm almost positive you're, not that I think too many people would disagree, but you have heard that before, right? People questioning whether you even want to get the bye because the bye, when you factor in, what are the odds if we were playing this weekend? Pick any team, pick the Eagles. What are the odds we win? what, 60% that the Packers would beat the Eagles? So we're, we're gambling with, if we don't get the buy, a 40% chance, we don't even get that far, right? And so essentially what you're saying is, I'm sure there's better ways to do this mathematically, but is playing the previous week and going into the next week, assuming you even get there, going to compensate for that 
I guess another way to look at it is if you're, let's say uh, we end up playing, who's going to be our competition here? Admittedly, probably a tougher matchup the second time around. Let's say it's the 49ers. The path to the NFC Championship is either 60% odds against the Eagles, followed by, let's say, 53% odds against LA, because now we're, we're taking that route as opposed to what we would get, because we're getting the highest seed now, because we lost. We don't get the bye. But there's no deduction for week of rest. If we look at the 66% odds with 55% odds, the odds of us hitting both of those is 33%. If we get the 49ers, let's just say we have 55% odds, right? 55% chance to win that game, just outright. Do you think we drop down below 33% because of the, the bye week curse or whatever? I don't think so. So, again, the vast majority of people understand how important this is, but that's all we need to realize is we get a win this week. And, and there are no guaranteed wins, right? We know that. It doesn't matter what, it doesn't matter what the matchup is. We've gone over this every single week. That is that is the main reason why we did laughing at the enemy. Even though the, the it ended up being a lot of fun just laughing at teams we dislike, a lot of it was just context. A lot of it was just showing you really good teams that are in absolute despair because they just lost to a garbage team. Because I think as Packer fans, we get so wrapped up, and all fan bases, I'm just saying, but, but over here, we get caught up in our stuff over here. When we lose, let's say, for the, to the Lions or to the Chiefs or whatever, we, we, we feel like it's a, a national embarrassment and everybody's laughing at us as though they're not losing games. No, dude, it's, like I've said it before, the best advice I ever got was from my dad. He said, nobody cares about you. <laughs> he was right, though. I was, you know, high school, serious anxiety issues. And what is anxiety? Social anxiety in particular. It's feeling like everybody's just staring at you, judging you. Why do you think people care about you that much? Everybody's basically living the same life you are, where they're just worried about themselves and what everybody else thinks about them. They're not worried about you. But then somebody makes a comment about you in passing, and it's like, see, everybody's looking at me. No, they're not. That dude's just a douche. He forgot about you three seconds after he said it. It's the same thing, right? You get some fly-by-night Bears fans who are like, ha ha, you guys lost the Lions. And then they turn around and just start talking to Bears fans about the Bears and how much they hate the Bears and what we got to do about the Bears. Nobody really cares that much about the Packers except us. We don't need to worry about what everybody else thinks about the Packers, especially some jerks that know we're good but will never admit it. But again, the point is, you never know. Every single week, crazy stuff is happening. Getting to the Super Bowl is just avoiding landmines. It's not even about winning. It's just avoiding losing. <laughs> that's that's it. Again, that's why I don't like high-volatility teams. It's It's... It is about being a really good team because that helps you not lose, but you're still just trying to avoid landmines. So if you have the opportunity to just skip around, just go ahead and skip it. It's like, what is that, Squid Game? I never, I've never seen it, but I understand the concept of it. Hilariously, I watched the Mr. Beast video where they replicated it. That's the best understanding I have of that whole concept. But it's like, if you have the opportunity to skip on to the next round, even though the first round might kind of hone your skills and get you to understand the game and what we're doing a little bit and learn a little bit of strategy, you know what? If I have the opportunity to not die this round, I'm going to go ahead and take that. Because literally half the people in this room are going to be slaughtered. And that's what's happening in the playoffs right now. This weekend, half the teams, half of them. There are 12 teams playing, six of them, done for the season, over. 2021, moving on to 2022, game over. Packers and Titans, automatically win. Glorious, glorious, gloriousness. Uh, before we get into the playoffs a little bit, uh, though, I'm going to save that a little bit toward the end because, uh, I don't know, because I want to. And I just, I know from comments that some people just talk about the Packers all the time. So I try to backload any conversation about anybody else. 
I guess one thing we could touch on is um, the voting stuff. And I'm not going to go on a tirade about how stupid it is. Uh, you already know where I stand on that. I, I, I'm happy for a lot of the Packers fans that got it. Not because I'm a wild hypocrite or whatever. It's, it's, again, one of the issues I have is that it means a lot to the players. So I'm happy for the players who earned it. The players that didn't that are very good shouldn't be too upset, although, again, they are. Because, again, unfortunately, this does matter, right? I mean, when, when you get a player who is in his 50s, 60s, whatever, and he gets introduced to some kind of a stage, they're going to go through your accolade. And they're going to list things like two-time MVP, three-time All-Pro, eight-time Pro Bowl and winner and Super Bowl champion, such and such, right? The only one of those that really matters is Super Bowl champion, but whatever. Anyways, anyways, not not doing it. If we go through the list, several Green Bay Packers are on here, which is fantastic. Uh, the results of the Associated Press 2021 NFL All-Pro balloting as selected by national panel of 50 media members are... At quarterback, Aaron Rodgers received 34 votes, Tom Brady 16. Uh, a little bit of basic math, that's all the votes. Which is a little, I guess it's not that surprising. Again, one of the, another, another of the issues I have is sort of the group thing. Um, I think other people should be in consideration, but whatever. Aaron Rodgers absolutely smoked Tom Brady. And as several people have pointed out, that bodes very well of him for him winning MVP, right? Um, it's the same people voting. So it doesn't really make sense for them to say that. I mean, I well, I guess if they take the arkish role and say, well, your value is somehow tied to your morality and you're an immoral person because you make personal decisions that I don't like, then maybe, but I doubt it swings that much. 34 to 16. So we can pretty much pencil in Aaron Rodgers as MVP. And if he doesn't win, then they're they're absolutely showing their hand as being useless. Uh, running back was unanimous for J- Jonathan Taylor, which does make sense. I'm not even going to blame groupthink for that. There's, there's really no other direction to go. Jonathan Taylor has absolutely killed it. Um, yeah, I don't, that wasn't surprising. Uh, Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews uh, ended up getting, actually, I should say it the correct way. Mark Andrews got 41 votes, Travis Kelsey 9. Wide receiver, Devontae Adams. Uh, they must vote. F- How does this work? So they, they must v- get three votes for wide receiver, I guess. I'm not exactly sure how that works, but nobody nobody cracked 50? So maybe that's just a coincidence, but Devontae Adams received 50 votes, Cooper Cup received 50 votes, and then the number three uh, was between Debo Samuel with 21, Justin Jefferson with 20, and Jamar Chase received nine. So Packers so far, uh, Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, wide receiver. You know what? Let's just do the Packers stuff. I don't want to go through all this, but Looking at defensive tackle, uh, Kenny Clark got two votes. It looks like that was out of 100. So Aaron Donald received 50. So there, there must be some kind of a thing where you can't exceed 50. Maybe they vote one at a time. But even so, that would still account for more. I don't know. I guess you couldn't exceed 50 because there's only 50 people. And as long as you're in the one, two, or three, you would have 50. So that makes sense. So he was on everybody's list and probably everybody's number one. But anyways, uh, Donald 50, Cam Hayward 19, uh, Chris Jones 10, Jeffrey Simmons got 10, DeForest Buckner 5, Kenny Clark received 2, which really isn't that bad. Some Packer fans might be upset about that, but the fact that there were two voters who felt that Kenny Clark was deserving of the top two, and I don't think I would have put him in the top two to be complete. In fact, I know for a fact I would have not put him in the top two. Considering Aaron Donald is an automatic number one, if we just eliminate him, is Kenny Clark the next best defensive tackle? No, he's he's not. It's nothing against him. I just, he's not, he's fine. He's doing a great job. I don't think he's the next best. 
Uh, linebacker, an- another one that's a complete shocker. Micah Parsons got number one. Um, I think we should just officially call him an edge rusher now. Not because that's really, but that's the only thing he really does well. I hate that he, whatever, doesn't matter. It, it makes sense that he got the number one spot. Then Darius Leonard. This is an example of a guy who's not exactly having as good of a year as he has historically, but nobody's caught on to that yet, so he got a ton of votes. But still, Devondre Campbell coming in third with 18 votes is pretty awesome. A Green Bay Packer anywhere on this list, and a deserving one, because he actually is, is shocking. And and the funny thing is, if you look at it, Micah Parsons, again, he's it's not because he's a linebacker, it's because of his pass rushing prowess. And Darius Leonard, I mean, I don't know, I guess I haven't really, I'm not going to look into it, but the last I saw, he's not exactly the same version. And I've said for years, Darius Leonard is the best linebacker in football because he's one of the few in today's game that can play the run and cover extremely well. But it just, last I saw, he wasn't having a great year. And again, I'm not going to look into it because it doesn't matter. But based on those two things, I think you can make it a case for Devondre being the top guy. Um, nobody else received any love. We didn't get any cornerbacks in. Uh, I think that's silly. Trayvon Diggs got the most votes, which is just kind of stupid. It is. I mean, it's, again, it's, um, I, I also hate that it plays into, if you don't know, Dallas Cowboys fans have lost their mind when it comes to Trayvon Diggs. Trayvon Diggs, and, and, and credit to Trayvon Diggs. I went back and looked at the history of this. He has like 11 interceptions right now. That is something that you don't see pretty much ever. 11 interceptions is stupid. Um, and and maybe maybe just based on that, it's it's worth giving him the the, the props this year because he, he got it this year. But is he the best corner in football? No, he's not. He's not. He got a ton of picks. And, and again, that's to his credit, but interceptions are not, especially at that high of a level, it's never been sustainable. Xavier Howard last year dominated with interceptions. Where's Xavier Howard this year? Where is he? Um, if you think back to the uh, Tredavious White, when he had a really good like rookie year, second year, whatever, he, it was mostly picks. And when those started to fall off, nobody's talking about him anymore. Eddie Jackson in Chicago, the one year in 2018 when he was the best safety in football, blah, blah, blah. It was because of the picks. He had a ton of picks. And when the picks went away, he went to being a subpar player. Trayvon Diggs, the only thing redeemable about Trayvon Diggs is the picks. And they're not sustainable. So that will go away. And when it does, unless he learns to play corner better, he's not going to be a very good corner. He's just not. He's given up the most yards of any corner in the entire NFL. That's serious. And somebody else was just, I just saw this morning, somebody posted on Twitter, Trayvon Diggs getting burned by A.J. Green. It's the most brutal thing I've ever seen in my life. Because A.J. Green, obviously, is not the same A.J. Green he was five years ago. And it was the most lazy little, it was just a, a, a stutter step, a stop and go, or I, I don't know what you want to call it, but he just kind of stops for a second and starts running. And dude, he was, Diggs, I mean, it was like in slow motion and Diggs is like, what? What's happening here? And then he didn't even have the makeup speed to go catch him. So I, you know, I don't know, man. I don't think he's necessarily that good of a football player, like at all. In the majority of the games that he's played, he does not grade out very well in terms of actual coverage. He has one, two, three, four, five games where they gave him a good coverage grade. Five. Every single one of those, he has a pick. Now, that's not to say he did anything wrong, right? It's a good thing to get an interception, but it's also going to boost your grade a little bit. It's not, you know, it's not uh, the greatest thing in the world if... um, that's kind of the, the highest grade he's had. And granted, he hasn't had a lot of games without interceptions, and that is to his credit. 
but 11 interceptions is unsustainable. What is the best coverage grade he received without a pick? 67.0. The others are 56.4, 56.1, 43.7, 39.3, and 35.3. Those are his coverage grades with no interceptions. In fact, I can do this even better. I can cherry pick all those weeks and tell you exactly what his grade is when he doesn't get interceptions. By the way, his overall PFF grade is a 59.6. His overall coverage grade is a 66.7. That's even with 11 interceptions. That just goes to show you how bad he really is. If he didn't have, they, they are going to give him high marks, right? If, if, if the highest thing you can get is two points for all the, they're giving them him those. But again, he's still, what is his grade going to be when he gets four or five interceptions next year, which is still a high number. Kevin King had a big year one year. He had five picks and it was like, dude, he's getting so many picks. It was five. Even if he gets a ton, which is five, this is bad. But let's let's just look at his grades without picks. In the weeks where Trayvon Diggs does not get an interception, he has a 45 overall grade and a 42.8 coverage grade. If you eliminate all the players that don't have a lot of snaps and whatnot, um, out of 121 corners, you know where, where the unan- or nearly unanimous uh, first-team All-Pro is? He ranks 113th out of 121. His coverage grade of 42.8 would put him at 112th out of 121. So, you know, I mean, look, the the guy's just getting burned all over the field. You you don't give up the most yards of any cornerback in all of football, and by a lot, by the way. Um, The second most yards given up is Marshawn Lattimore, 862. He's given up 1,016, almost 200 more yards than the next highest person. So anyways, that one annoys me. Um, and, and then you start seeing stuff like, uh, you know, on Twitter, there was a, a photo. And granted, most Packer fans were on the ball uh, with this one. And even non-Packer fans were laughing at this. But um, pretty much everybody that wasn't a Cowboys fan. But it was a graphic of Devontae Adams across from uh, Trayvon Diggs with a question, who wins? And it's like, come on, dude. You've got the number one wide receiver in the NFL going up against the guy that's given up more yards than any corner in football. And you're asking who wins? Here's the other problem for Trayvon Diggs. The only redeemable quality is interceptions, right? You think he's going to pick off Aaron Rodgers? I found a YouTube video, all 11 of Trayvon Diggs' interceptions. Let's go through and find out how many were earned. First interception right off the bat. It's a screen pass. The um, running back didn't catch it. The ball pops up in the air and Diggs, Diggs goes and gets it. That's not a skill thing. Granted, you have to have some awareness, and maybe that's his biggest thing. He's always aware of where the ball is, and that's a good thing. But this is not jumping a route. This is not, you know, coming across the field and picking the ball off. This is not a great read. This is, I'm standing five yards off, and I'm about to get annihilated in this screen path, and the running back just completely botched it, and I went up and got it. Okay, that's number one. So we're down to 10 interceptions as far as high quality, really good. This guy's an elite corner. Second one, great play. All right, so there you go. We're still at 10. The third one with Darnold, it's not a... Let's put it this way. Aaron Rodgers is not throwing this. It was five yards behind the receiver, and Diggs caught it. Again, it's it's one of those things where I'll give him credit for awareness, for even paying attention, because why he's even looking in that direction, I have no idea. Because the... I I guess it's because he's playing in zone. So he's just kind of standing in that area, and he happens to notice the ball just kind of flying in his direction. And there's no receiver in the area. So he just kind of grabbed that one. That was Sam Darnold, by the way. So that, again, that ain't going to happen. Next interception was once again, Sam Darnold. He did jump the route. So I'll give him credit for that. But again, Aaron Rodgers isn't throwing that. Yeah, this is this is kind of the same. I, 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 maybe it's kind of similar to what Razul Douglas is doing. 
he's he's mastered the art of stand five yards off, act like I'm not paying attention, let inexperienced quarterbacks think that this guy's open in the flat, and then as soon as he cocks his arm, I just sprint. But again, the problem with that is, and and even Dallas Cowboys fans, when I get into arguments with them, kind of maybe concede this point. Is he that's his style of playing corner. The problem is though. If you're constantly just keeping your eyes in the back, guys are getting behind you. If your goal is jumping, and, and Jair kind of got killed by this, by the way. He didn't get a ton of picks, but he kind of got burned on a lot of double moves for a while. And again, he he cleaned it up. He got better at that. But he's so like jumpy and twitchy and trying to go forward, forward, forward. And by the way, I mean, if you're talking, if you're talking Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, and they know that they got a jumpy guy here, do you understand how how much that plays in Devontae's favor? How they're gonna just toy with this guy? They do have to be a little bit careful because they like to throw the the quick passes to Devontae and all that, but that all that that also works to their advantage. Trayvon Diggs is going to watch that the Packers love these little quick routes to Devontae, where he's just going to jump to the outside, we're going to throw it, we're going to pick up five, six easy yards. So a little pump fake and a double move up the sideline, and he's gone. Yeah, the, the next interception was an underthrown ball. Again, it's, it's not that he did anything wrong. The first one was the only one where it's like, okay, you're not getting credit for a ball bouncing up in the air. You do get credit for just being in the right area, though. I mean, I, I can't ding you for it. And even though it was underthrown, I mean, he was he was pretty much stride for stride with him. So even if it was a well-thrown, I mean, I guess if it was a perfectly thrown ball, he could have, it probably wouldn't have been able to be intercepted. Should have never been thrown. It was underthrown. But if you underthrow a guy, I mean, again, but this is why it's unsustainable. These things just happening to you are not going to keep happening to you. Underthrown balls to you are just, you know, they're things that happen sometimes, right? You know, King might get one of those. Jair might get one of those. Corners get one or two of those a year. Trayvon's gotten three or four of those. He's been fortunate, but it's, you know, and he capitalizes on it. How many times have we seen Jair and King and these guys drop interceptions? That's another thing that's to his credit. He's got good hands. He doesn't drop a lot of them. Next interception, the wide receiver fell, so he was able to catch it. Again, just good fortune. That's good fortune. Also, the fact that a lot of these have gone for touchdowns is going to massively inflate his value. I mean, it, it is val- the interceptions are massively valuable. Pick sixes are compoundingly, massively valuable. And again, th- th- this is the kind of stuff that the media likes, and they give him these votes for these reasons. He's He's the guy that gets all the highlights. If you're watching, if you're a source of, which makes sense, if you're one of the voters and you are in the media, you get a lot of your information from places like ESPN and places like that. What other information do you have? I mean, yards given up is not a common stat. Pass breakups, interceptions, tackles. These are these are the baseline stats that you get for corner. And if you've got 11 interceptions, which is a historically high thing, you're going to get a lot of votes. And I, I'm not even saying I'm necessarily mad at that because he does deserve credit for doing something historic. Only 13 people in NFL history have had more than 11 interceptions. Only 13 ever. And honestly, the most recent, um, it looks like 1980, Lester Hayes had 13. 1980. I can't even find, I mean, the Champ Bailey in 2006 had 10. That's the only person in modern history that I could find that's even close. And that was 2006. Um, 2001, Rondé Barber had 10, uh, 2007, Antonio Cromartie. I think Xavier Howard had 10 last year. I'm pretty sure. But again, I mean, we're, we're talking historic, man. I mean, it's, it's, it's an unbelievably high number. Um, and he does deserve credit, but it's, it's, it's too much. It's too much, especially from Cowboys fans. I mean, if you want to cast a vote for him for doing something cool, fine, but Cowboys fans got to shut up because it's stupid. 
being having a lot of interceptions and having I've talked about this too long already, but having a lot of interceptions and being a good corner are not the same thing. It can be the same thing, but it's not the same thing. It's the same with sacks. Do you just sort by who got the most sacks? Now, it's entirely possible that the best player got the you know, like um, if you look at defensive tackle, the best defensive tackle probably got the most sacks. You know why? Because it's Aaron Donald. But that's not always the case. And I think Kyler Fackrell is a perfect example of it. It's why sacks are not the most important statistic. Because sometimes it's kind of a fleeting thing. If you have a high sack to pressure rate, you're going to have an inflated number of sacks, which is why pressures, I think, are more important than sacks. Not in terms of value to the team, but in terms of valuing the player. If you only get to the quarterback 20 times all year, but 50% of those are sacks and you get 10 sacks, that looks like a really good year. It's not. You only got to the quarterback 20 times. It just so happens you were very fortunate in those situations and get brought the guy to the ground. So a lot of times what you have is guys with really high... Like TJ Watt is a perfect example. 22 sacks, according to Pro Football Focus. That is a monumental mark. It really is. And he does deserve credit for that. But his pressure rate is 15, which is great. And I think that's how he should be judged. 15% pressure rate, maybe give him a slight bonus for converting so many of those to sack. But at the end of the day, he had 62 times he got to the quarterback. That's tied for 10th. Matthew Judon had 63, Harold Landry had 64, Joey Bosa had 68, Shaq Barrett 75, Trey Hendrickson had 75, Nick Bosa had 75, Miles Garrett had 78, Rashawn Gary 81, and Max Crosby 101. So anyways, um, the voting doesn't really matter, but I am happy for the guys that got it. Two of them were obvious, one of them not so much. Devondre Campbell was not a shoe-in whatsoever because he kind of falls into that category of a guy that is very deserving but is not very well known. And unless the, the, the smoke reaches the media landscape, they just don't know about it, right? There's a lot of guys that are kind of... Razul Douglas, for example, is a, is a kind of an unknown commodity that um, deserves praise but may not get it because it's, it's Razul Douglas. I mean, come on, we're really going to put him at the top over Trayvon Diggs? Give me a break. Yes, because he has a lot of interceptions also, um, but it's just a better corner all around. But anyways, we'll leave that alone. Um, I didn't mean to really dig into that too much, but it it does kind of tie into another person that is causing a firestorm. Chicago Bears fans are furious right now because they believe Roquan Smith should have been well over Devondre Campbell for for the voting. And Roquan only got 10 votes, and Bears fans are mad. First of all, let's, let's touch on this for a second. You've been with me as we've done laughing at the enemy. You've heard Bears fans scream about Roquan. And how Roquan is not that good. Some Bears fans apparently have not gotten that memo. But they're especially mad about Devondre Campbell. Why? Because, and I've said this about Bears fans in the past, they've got little man syndrome. Not, they can't stand when their team doesn't do well because they believe Chicago should be the best at everything. Chicago is the best at everything. We've, we are a giant city. We should get just as much respect as L.A. and New York. And we never do. We don't get respect for our food. We don't get respect for our music. We don't get respect for, for our teams. We get no respect. It's so bad, it's to the point where they brag about their crime. I'm not even kidding you about that. I have heard people from Illinois brag about how they are, you know, like the most dangerous city and they have the most shootings and all this stuff. It's like, you guys need to chill out. By the way, this is mostly people that live in the suburbs that love to say they live in Chicago, which always drove me nuts because I lived in the suburbs of Chicago. And they were like, we live in Chicago. So no, we don't. We live in Hanover Park, Illinois. No, dude, we live in Chicago. Okay. Anyways... The other thing that really, really upsets um, Bears fans is when Wisconsin or the Packers get more respect, right? Drives them nuts. If you listen to even, even it was just hilarious when Vikings fans do it, because it's like, dude, you guys are, 
if Packer fans are Hicks, you guys are are like West Virginia Hill people. You know you're north of us, right? Like <laughs> whatever you can say about Wisconsin is more true of Minnesota. But they love to get on in on that act too, where they're like culture because you know a very small fraction of their state is a city, as though we don't have Milwaukee and Madison. But anyways, people in Illinois love to to play this trope about how they're cultured and they're so sophisticated and we have money and we have all these things. And Wisconsin is basically just like a a barren wasteland. But people like Wisconsin and they like people from Wisconsin because they're nice and they like the Packers. If you go outside of this outside of this region, Illinois, Wisconsin, whatever. You go anywhere, go to Florida, go to Georgia, go to Massachusetts, go to, go to I, when I went to Buffalo for a Buffalo Bills game. Oh, I love the Packers. Packers are great, man. Oh, man, I grew up, I loved Brett Favre. Nobody says that about the Bears, and it drives them nuts. And they've got a guy, Roquan Smith, that actually gets respect. And, and they, again, they crave and they demand respect from everybody. It's the same thing they're doing with Justin Fields. I demand respect, and they're getting it, and it, it and it's something they want to hold on to, and they don't want to let it go. And the fact that their first-round pick, high-quality, uber-freak athlete, Roquan Smith, got less respect than Devondre Campbell, which, is again, is just a, a picture of this, this, whole, this whole thing that we're talking about here. We are the premier, and Wisconsin is this little Same thing, Roquan is this elite athlete, first-round pick. Devondre Campbell is some old, washed-up guy that's never done anything. In his, how does he get more respect than Roquan? And then you get, uh, for example, this guy here, Chicago guy. Got a little blue check mark. I don't know who he is. Um, he says, Packers linebacker Devondre Campbell was named first-team All-Pro. Campbell finished the season with 146 total tackles, two sacks, six tackles for a loss, two interceptions. Roquan Smith finished the season with 163 tackles, three sacks, 12 tackles for a loss, and one interception. By the way, those stats are almost identical, but again, very similar to what Dallas Cowboys fans do with Diggs, they're looking at baseline stats and pretending that tells a story. It doesn't tell you anything. Tackles just tells you how many times they tackled somebody. Sacks tell you how many times you sacked somebody, and we're talking three out of what is he at, 1,050 snaps or something, just guessing? And interceptions, I mean, he had less interceptions, but again, it's a, such a small, insignificant thing. Well, if we look at tackles, which again, kind of a stupid way to judge things, but um, Roquan and Devondre Campbell tied in tackles, 111. Where Roquan passes Devondre is in assists, 45 compared to 23. What he left out, though, is something that matters. It's a very important statistic for linebackers. It's a very important statistic for a lot of different players. But you know what that is? It's missed tackles. You know how many missed tackles Devondre Campbell has? Four. Do you know how many missed tackles Roquan has? Twelve. Do you know what the missed tackle percentages are? Roquan Smith, 7.1%. Devondre Campbell, 2.9%. He also left out forced fumbles, which is, again, a small insignificant thing. But Devondre Campbell has two. Roquan Smith has zero. They have the exact same NFL passer rating when targeted, by the way. But here's the other thing. If, if, if Okay, so we want context. Where can we find context? You know what context is? It's called a PFF grade because they don't just look at the individual stats. They don't just look at tackles. They look at the, the context behind these things. If you want to look at this contextually, Roquan Smith should not even be in the conversation. Roquan Smith ranks 67th with a 46 overall grade. 46 overall grade. 30 run defense grade. 30. So here's the thing. Find me the statistic that shows me how well he can shed a block and make a tackle. Show me the statistic that shows me how well he he can read and react. Where's that statistic? 
Where's the statistic that shows me that he is gap sound? Where's that statistic? Doesn't exist. There's a lot of things required of linebackers that don't show up as statistics. You have to watch the tape. And Bears fans are going to claim, oh, I did watch the tape. I'm sure you watched every snap of Roquan Smith and Devondre Campbell, and you had a little scorecard, and you scored all of it. I'm sure of all of that. No, you didn't. You know who did do that, though? Pro Football Focus did. They said Roquan Smith got a 30 run defense grade, a 66 coverage grade, 53 pass rush grade, which, by the way, nine pressures on 74 attempts is not even that good. For a linebacker, linebackers are routinely 25 30%. It's not that impressive. Um, his only decent grade was tackling 78%. Roquan on the, or excuse me, Devondre Campbell on the other side was the third highest graded linebacker. Um, 84.3 overall grade, 78 run defense, 90 tackling, 73 pass rush. Um, he had 10 pressures on 48 attempts. That's 20.8%. And he has an 83.1 coverage grade. So statistically, First of all, even if you really like those stats and you think they matter a ton, then uh, technically, Feyisade Olukun, literally never heard of this guy in my life, should have been uh, probably gotten a couple votes because he has 131 tackles, which is the most of anybody. Uh, he also has 47 assisted tackles, so I don't think anybody can catch him because that's pretty high. Jordan Brooks, also fairly high. By the way, if you sort by tackles, you know what the grades are? 43, 40, 57, 59, 69, 46. It's not until you get to Devondre Campbell where you find somebody with a high grade. You know why? Because tackles are not the best way to sort how good a player is. In fact, if we just sort by stats, I don't know if there's any stat that Roquan would be really good in. Uh, I don't see, I mean, he's eighth in uh, sacks with three. Congratulations. Uh, Compare that to Micah Parsons with 14, Jerome Baker with six. I mean, come on. So, I mean, the, the, the whole conversation is stupid. And, and, and I think it's why they're not even trying to argue that Roquan should be near the top. They just don't like that Devondre Campbell's ahead of him because of a couple, a handful of stats, which uh, the whole thing is stupid. It's because it's not stats that you're supposed to be looking at. But that is probably, the stats are probably the only reason you got any votes to begin with. And just the constant hype of Roquan Smith that is completely undeserved. And again, Bears fans are the ones that are sounding the alarm on that. Bears fans that are actually watching this and are talking amongst themselves. and are Because at the end of the day, you're the one watching Roquan Smith miss tackle. And as much as you want to defend the guy, as much as you want to pretend in on Twitter that he's the, the greatest linebacker of all time, you're going to be screaming at your TV, tackle, you idiot! And when you say that enough times after a while, you start to say out loud what, what's been said under your breath for quite a while now. I'm a little frustrated with Roquan right now. So no, Roquan Smith... Um, perennially overrated. I mean, every single year of his entire career, he's been overrated. He's never been as good as people have made him out to be. His grades in four years. Number eight overall selection, by the way, by the Bears. And, and this is why they get way too much credit. All the, the, the Bears and executive of the year and all this nonsense. Number eight overall selection. They were praised for taking a linebacker at eight, which is crazy to begin with. But because the media praised him, they had to keep that up. They didn't want to look stupid for saying that this is a great pick and Roquan's a great prospect and all that. So they just keep propping him up. His grades in four years, 66, 52, 67, and 46 this year, his worst year ever. And he's still getting Pro Bowl votes. He is perennially one of the worst linebackers in football. When you look at the context of his run defense grades, his best ever was in 2019, 53 overall grade. He's terrible against the run. Terrible. But he's a big highlight guy, right? He's got a ton of speed. So you'll see him just fly across the field and tackle people. And you'll hear the comments, 
not many linebackers in the NFL can do what Roquan can do. And that's true. But there's also a lot of linebackers on a play-to-play basis that are just doing a better job with basic linebacker assignments. You get a guy like Roquan because he can do those special things, but you still need him to be able to do all the other things. And I even said I didn't like Roquan before the draft because the guy is soft. At 6'1", 225, I saw him get knocked backwards by quarterbacks. And as soon as I saw that, I said, I'm out. I'm, I, I, I'm sorry. I know I'm old school. I know, I, I know that my, my thinking about linebackers is outdated. I understand that today we want smaller, faster, whatever. But if, if, if you don't even have a little bit of edge where you can, you can tee up on a quarterback and just knock him into next week, if you have a quarterback stiff-arming you into the ground and knocking you backwards, I have a problem with that. And just generally, if you watched him in college, he was getting thrown all over the place. He's got tons of speed, but offensive lineman puts one hand on him and he's doing three backwards somersaults. He gets thrown around. So yes, Devondre Campbell is deserving and Roquan is not, period. The only problem I have with the voting is that Roquan got a single vote. I know one of them was Hubarkish because he's a a biased hack, but aside from that, I don't know who's voting for him and why. (sighs) But anyways, done talking about the voting. Why don't we take a break and uh, we'll come back and look at some of the NFL action for today, who stays, who goes, showdown of the century, something like that. Once again, if you wouldn't mind supporting Drew, um, we're trying to get Drew a seizure service dog. Thank you very much to Seth Reuter uh, for the $150 donation. That's absolutely fantastic. Uh, you guys have gone above and beyond with this. Uh, really, really do appreciate it. We are now at $3,255 for Drew. We got a long slog here, but uh, if you go check it out, he uh, does post updates on there, so you can even see pictures of the pups that are being trained, and and um, so that's kind of cool. Dogs are getting kind of big. He just did an update yesterday on it. Uh, he does a good job uh, keeping us up to date on the progress of it, but again, uh, he was diagnosed with epilepsy and is, is hoping to get some help with a seizure service dog, and so again, I'm going to pause my begging for money for a while and see if we can't deflect a little bit of that over to Drew because you guys have done so much for me. And uh, I'm kind of in that no no man's land where it's like, I've got a long way to go before I can quit my job. But I'm also at a point where I'm not a starving artist anymore. <laughs> you know, I'm not just up at three o'clock in the morning begging for like 20 bucks because our savings is being depleted just paying our bills. So we'll uh, see if we can't help out Drew. And then we'll get right back to begging. But we'll take a break. Oh, by the way, if you want to find that, the best way to find it, just go to my Twitter, pack underscore daddy. It is the pin tweet. It's right at the top. Go to my profile, top one there, takes you to his GoFundMe. Uh, I did post it on Patreon, so if you're on there and want to find it, there is a post about it, and it's somewhere in the Facebook group, but it's buried at this point. So we'll take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. 
With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, all right, all right, we're back. Today, we've got two games. We've got the Las Vegas Raiders, who were able to sneak into the playoffs in spectacular fashion, going up against the up-and-coming Cincinnati Bengals, one of the most young and promising teams out there. And really, the, the biggest concern I have in this game is, do I really, do I seriously want to pick the Bengals to win a playoff game? I think if there's anything more remarkable than the Packers in their um, pension for losing in the NFC Championship game. It's the Bengals run um, in the playoffs during the Andy Dalton and uh, Marvin Lewis days. You've got 2009, 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15. 2010 is the only year that is not included in this. 2009, 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15, they were playoff teams every year. They lost every single time in the first round. Every single time. And these were good football. I mean, some of them were better than others, but uh, 2009, they were 10 and 6, which, you know, that's a team that sneaks in. 2011, uh, they were a nine win team, so they snuck in. 2012, again, 10 wins, but even so, three times you got to get in. Well, now 2013, 11 and 5, right? 11 and 5, now we got a legitimate shot. We're going up against the 9-7 and seven Chargers, very similar to this year, in fact, where you got the better team is the Bengals going up against a team that nobody expects to, to really do much. The San Diego Chargers win 27-10, to 10, right? So now we're getting into curse territory. You've lost three in a row, but you were underdogs. This time, you're over, kind of in a big way, and get smoked. Um, the next year, 10-5. and five. Again, not a terrible team going up against the Indianapolis Colts. Colts are 11 and 5, basically the same record. Again, 26 to 10. So again, just a complete collapse. You only scored 10 points, I think, in in both of these games. In fact, uh, 2012, going backwards, they scored 13 points. Uh, the year before that, they scored 10 points. What in the world? And the year before that, 14 points. The offense and the absolute collapses are remarkable. 
2015, though, 12-4, and four, right? Super legit. This time we got it. Going up against the Pittsburgh Steelers, who are 10-6. and six. We're the over. This time we got them for sure. What happens? The Steelers only score 18 points, and again, they lose. Because although this was the highest scoring playoff team in forever, they only uh, got to 16 points. So 16, 10, 10, 13, 10, and 14 is what they scored in that span, even going back to 2005, which you got to go back another couple years, but it's still Marvin Lewis. Um, This is Carson Palmer. So again, it's a little bit different, but same thing, same span. 2005, they're an 11 and five team. Once again, going up against the Pittsburgh Steelers, I guess that would be similar to us with the, I don't know, 49ers or Cardinals or something. I have no idea, but um, they were going up against the 2005 Pittsburgh Steelers who unfortunately for the uh, the Bengals were going on to win the Super Bowl that year. But um, yeah, they lost. And not only did they lose, but they lost in spectacular fashion again, 17 to 31. 17, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. The last seven times from 2005, 9, 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15, they lost every single game. And the most points they've scored on offense was 17 points. I'll be honest, I'm kind of rooting for the Bengals, not because I'm, I'm I'm a little bit worried about the Bengals. There's a part of me that's kind of scared and doesn't really want to um, see. I mean, I guess it would be in the Super Bowl, so I'm fine with it. But um, the, the part of me wants them to win just because we kind of need some curses to be broken here. Everyone assumes the Packers are going to get to the NFC Championship and they're going to lose, or just at the very least, they're going to lose in the playoffs because that's what the Packers do. You know what else happens all the time? The Bengals losing in the first round. You know what makes me nervous, though? They just lost last week to Cleveland, and they lost 16-21. to That is the most Bengals lose in the playoff score I've ever seen in my life. By the way, prior to 2005, they didn't even get into the playoffs until 1990, and they did win that game. They beat the Houston Oilers 41-14. to That was the last time they won a playoff game, and then they lost immediately after that 10-20. to So since that wildcard game, January 6th, This would have been, I guess, 1991, because it's January. January 6, 1991, they have not scored more than 17 points in a playoff game in their team history. Because again, they lost to the Raiders with 10 points. They they, they love 10 points. 10 points is their favorite amount of points in the playoffs. It's just such a good amount of points. I tell you what, if, if they have 10 points at halftime, I might be looking for somebody to take a bet that they don't score a single point in the second half. Although that's a risky bet because they do like 16, 17, that kind of stuff. But I wonder, I got to look at that. I'm, I'm, I really hate that whole superstition stuff because it's like, dude, the, the past teams have nothing to do with present teams. But there's a part of me that's like, you know what? If there's a bet out there that involves me making a lot of money that they don't get to 20 points, I might put money on that. Even if they win, I'm looking at it going, meh, I don't know if they get to 20 points. Anyways, I'm wasting time trying to figure out how to do that. Um, I don't even want, I don't want to do that anyways. So don't message me with, I, I, I can help you. I don't want help. I don't want to do it. I want to keep my money. <laughs> That's a stupid bet. But it is crazy. It is crazy. Nine times since 1990 have they been to the um, playoffs. Eight since 2005, and they haven't won any of those. But we got a new guy in town. By the way, the Raiders, only eight times since 1990. And only twice since 2000. Wow. That's pretty shocking also. What a garbage team. Their stretches, they had, uh, oh wait, I think I've got that wrong. Yeah, so it wasn't sorted by year. That was my issue. Uh, Twice since 2016, three times since 2002. Anyways, pretty bad. 
eight times since 1990. The last time the Raiders won a playoff game was 2002. So either way, this is pretty big. Interestingly enough, the last time the Raiders um, won a playoff game, they went to the Super Bowl. They beat the Jets in the divisional round 30-10. to 10. They beat Tennessee 41-24, to 24, went on to play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and got smoked. That was Jerry Rice, man. I was, I was looking at him like, I don't even, like, I know Rich Gannon, but I don't know anybody else on this team. Um, Charlie Garner and Zach Crockett. But uh, then you go over and look at the wide receivers. It's like, oh, Jerry Rice. You got Rich Gannon, who's first team all pro that year, and Jerry Rice is uh, obviously not the best version of Jerry Rice, but Pro Bowl, um, 1,200 yards, seven touchdown Jerry Rice. So, But honestly, looking at these two teams, um, even if we just look at more recently, which is more fun to do because you get a better picture of who they are right now, um, you're looking at the Cincinnati Bengals, who have the eighth most points scored. Um, they, so so the, the, the two records, so you might look at it and say, well, Cincinnati the last five weeks is three and two. Las Vegas is four and one. You know, the, the Raiders are on a bit of a tear here. And there is some truth to that. It's worth noting the quality of the, the opponents, though. First of all, um, with Cincinnati losing to Cleveland, I don't know how much of that had to do with final week of the season. I'm not exactly sure what that's uh, about. But they beat the Kansas City Chiefs, they beat the Baltimore Ravens, they beat the Denver Broncos, and the one loss came against the San Francisco 49ers. Um, we're talking about essentially playoff teams. Before that was the Chargers. Before that was the Steelers. Before that, by the way, was the Raiders, and they beat them 32-13, to 13, but we'll, we'll, we'll get there. But even if you just start looking at quality, what, 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 what was the output? Um, again, eighth best offense with 129 points. Las Vegas Raiders scored 100 points in that span. If you look defensively, um, Cincinnati allowed 109 points. The Raiders allowed 127 points. So offensively and defensively, although it didn't correlate to more wins, the Cincinnati Bengals, even up against better opponents, have done better offensively and defensively. So when you look at point differential, how badly are you beating teams? Um, we're talking Cincinnati is at 20. So if we're talking about five games, that's on average, they're beating teams by four points per game over the course of five weeks. The Raiders are at negative 27. So they're losing on average by about five points per game on average, even though they're four and one. How is that possible? Well, because they lost 48 to nine. <laughs> and they, they lose big and win small. They barely beat Cleveland by two. They barely beat the Broncos by four. They barely beat the Colts by three. And they barely beat the Chargers by three. A win is a win is a win, but it does matter. DVOA takes somewhat of a similar look. Um, it does devalue both teams by quite a bit, basically showing that neither team is doing all that well. But still, Cincinnati's on top, despite the Raiders having a better record. Cincinnati, they have at a negative 4.2. So again, DVOA, we're talking about zero being baseline, right? The, the most average team in football is Denver at 1%. Um, it's 1% better than an average team. Cincinnati is the uh, first team that's negative at negative 4.2. Las Vegas, negative 9.9. Based on DVOA, they do have the Raiders slightly ahead offensively by like two spots. But if you look at defensively, again, um, not super great, but Cincinnati negative 0.4, which negative is positive when you're talking about defense, but basically average. Las Vegas is 25th compared to Cincinnati at 12th with a 5.3%. And then special teams, which, as we know, does matter to some degree. Cincinnati's ranked 15th, right at about average. Um, Las Vegas, although better than us, is ranked 28th. 
So there's not a lot going on that's positive for the Raiders. Anything's possible. Anything could happen. Kudos to them for rallying at the end of their season. But the Bengals are favorited, and it's for a reason. And again, one of the biggest things, although Carr is always graded out higher than most people give him respect for, PFF likes Derek Carr. He's never elite, but he's never as bad as, you know, people make him out to be just basically a, a giant joke. Now, he might be a Kirk Cousins type or even an Andy Dalton type where you look at him and say he can play, but he's never going to get you over the hump and therefore you need a new one. But he's not deserving of the title of basically bad quarterback because he's not. But when you got Joe Burrow as the number one quarterback in football via PFF and just absolutely shredding everybody playing great football on top of the fact that you've got Jamar Chase and some good wide receivers and everything that are um, completely going off, it's a tough situation. As far as um, injuries and COVID, I'm really not seeing much of anything. Um, As far as the Raiders are concerned, it doesn't look like anybody's going to miss. Jonathan Hankins is the only one, and he's listed as questionable. Everybody else looks like they're going to play. That's on the injury list. The only Bengal that's doubtful is Josh Tupo, Tupo, whatever. But bottom line is they're, they're basically full strength. Looking at the point spread, it's it's actually kind of interesting, and it's a credit to the Raiders being just, you talk about grit. Um, there's almost no correlation between whether they're underdogs or not and whether they win. <laughs> there just isn't. They've only been favorited in five games this year. They won two of them. They beat Philadelphia and Miami. They lost to the Giants, Washington, and Chicago. Eight of their wins have come when they were underdogs, and the biggest pile are when they're bigger underdogs. When they're three-point underdogs, or I guess less, they are three and three, not including when they're favorited. I'm just talking about three-point underdogs to even. They're three and three. When they're more than three-point underdogs, four up to ten, they're five and one. In fact, they are undefeated when they're bigger underdogs than three, but less than ten. Right now, they're five and a half. They were four-point underdogs against Denver, and they won 34 to 24. They were four-point underdogs against Baltimore. They won 33-27 in overtime. They were six-point underdogs against Pittsburgh. They won 26-17. Seven-and-a-half-point underdogs against Dallas. They won 36-33. They were eight-point underdogs against Indy. They won 23-20. Based on that, this is right in their sweet spot. This is the only area of the the landscape that they don't lose. And the Bengals, it's kind of similar. They're five and four when they're underdogs. They're five and three when they're favorites. Games in which they've been favorites, um, one was the Raiders. They were only one point favorites in that game. So this is a very different game when the Raiders were considered. So just throw it out, I guess. But 32 to 13, or you can just look at it as they have their number. I don't know. Um, They were 2.5 point favorites against the Browns, and they lost that game. Three point favorites against the Chargers, they lost that game. Three and a half points against Pittsburgh, they won 41 to 10. Uh, three and a half point favorites against Detroit. They won 34 to 11. Seven point favorites against Baltimore. They won 41 21. Seven and a half point favorites against Jacksonville. They won 24 21. And then the biggest game in which they were favorites, the uh, against the Jets, 11 points. They lost 31 34. So that's that's got to scare you a little bit. I mean, if you're if you're a betting man, now I'm looking at it saying the Bengals can't win a playoff game. Even though Raiders have a similar history, it's like I, I have a hard time betting on the Bengals winning a playoff game. And then you look at this and say, hey, the Raiders generally win when they're five and a half point underdogs, and the the Bengals are pretty much 50-50 when they're in this range. Um, It's kind of a 50-50 game. 
So I'll say this, it might be a better game than we think. It's also entirely possible. If you look at a lot of these in that same range, five and a half points, um, you know, if you talk 3.35, 3.57 and seven, those are the closest in this range. They've annihilated teams, 41-10, 34-11, 41-21, and then the one is 24-21, but generally annihilated. So it's possible that this ends up being a 41-10 game, and it's like, we should have all seen this coming, and you're an idiot for even thinking the Raiders had a chance. Okay, fine. But I don't know. I guess we'll see. But again, the, the, the biggest takeaway for me is that this is a pretty big game for both of these teams, and I don't think either of them have a really big shot of, of winning the Super Bowl this year or even necessarily getting to the Super Bowl. Maybe the Bengals, if they can just play at the highest possible level, but even then their defense has got some serious issues. But big game, and kudos to the winner. Really, really depressing for the loser, especially if it's the Bengals, because my goodness, my good. I mean, again, favorites. Again, you lose to a team that shouldn't. And you've got a team cheering in your face because, yay, they won a game. They haven't won in so long. It's like, you know what? You know what? You shut up. <laughs> I don't want to hear about it. Anyways, before we move on to the final game, uh, I tweeted that little insight about uh, the Raiders and the Bengals. And Mike retweeted it and said, also, why you never take these moments for granted. Never know for sure that you'll be back year in and year out. This is another reason why I get annoyed with the people that are screaming that Two Super Bowls in 30 years is an absolute travesty. No, I'm sorry. Zero super, uh, playoff wins in 30 years is a travesty, right? Zero Super Bowl wins in franchise history is a travesty. The fact that Packer fans, I understand other fan bases do this stupid stuff, but the fact that Packer fans want to hold uh, Hall of Fame quarterbacks against us. Yeah, but it should be better with Hall of Fame quarterbacks. I'm sorry, that's not a negative. It's, it's also not a guarantee that you get a Hall of Fame quarterback. Hall of Fame quarterback just means you have a Hall of Fame quarterback. It doesn't mean you win a Super Bowl. You should be grateful for having a Hall of Fame quarterback and grateful that we go to the playoffs every year, largely because of these Hall of Fame quarterbacks and sometimes make deep Super Bowl runs. And by the way, we have two Super Bowls that we wouldn't have had if not for that. But rather than saying I'm so grateful for 30 years of great play and great players beyond just Hall of Fame quarterbacks, but the amount of wide receivers, Robert Brooks, Donald Driver, Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, Sterling Sharp, Devontae Adams, Craig Jennings, Don frickin' Beebe. I don't know. I mean, just the list goes on. The offensive linemen we've had, just great offensive lines. The great free agent acquisitions that we've gotten. Reggie White. Does that ring a bell? There's a lot that goes into winning a Super Bowl. There's a lot that goes... By the way, if we don't get Reggie White, we probably don't win a Super Bowl. If we don't get Charles Woodson, I don't know if we win a Super Bowl. It's not enough to just have a quarterback. So yes, thank you, Mike. Exactly correct. Be happy. Be happy that we have a good team. Be happy we have a Hall of Fame quarterback. Be happy we have an MVP quarterback. Be happy we have a great running backs and offensive line and corners. And be happy with everything that we got. Because it's not impossible that we're headed toward 32 years of no playoff wins after this season. That's not an impossibility. It's unlikely, but it's not impossible. So let's go ahead and enjoy this. All right, moving on to the final game. Patriots-Bills. Who am I rooting for? The Bills. The Bills. I can't stand the Patriots. I know Tom Brady's not there anymore, but the fact that they're starting to have a bit of a resurgence, the fact that they're surging despite Jones not even being that great of a quarterback. I mean, he's far better than any of the other rookie quarterbacks, but he's just kind of mediocre, and this team is just tearing everybody apart. I don't like it. I don't want to deal with it. I want the Bills to beat the Patriots. I want the Patriots to be beaten so badly that Bill Belichick says, you know what? I'm tired of this nonsense. I'm going to take my money and my fame and all this stuff, and I'm going to be, I'm going to reti- retire as the greatest coach of all time. He leaves. They end up hiring, I don't know, somebody that's dumb and can't do things 
uh, Bill O'Brien maybe like, hey, you used to play for Bill. Can you come back here and be Bill and just run this like Bill ran it? And he'll be like, yeah, dude, I got that, even though that's exactly what he was asked to do over in Houston and he couldn't do it. But yeah, he's going to come in. He's going to do those things. He's going to be terrible. It's going to be great. I just, I can't, I'm I'm so done. Like, I was ready to forgive the Patriots. I was ready to move on and be like, you know what? It's fine. We'll move on. Not mad at the Patriots anymore. We're best friends now. And then after one year, after taking one year off, they draft a quarterback and they're like, hey, we're back, guys. It's like, no, no. It's not a one-year-off deal. You got to go away for a while. You can't just come back like that. You can't just come back. I'm sorry. You, you No. You got to spend a little bit of time at the bottom or something, like miss the playoffs a little bit, or at least sneak into the playoffs and have everyone be like, yeah, but they're not good. Dude, they're very good. You know, you look at the whole point differential thing or whatever metric you want to look at, and they're one of the top teams. It's just ridiculous. For the season, looking at DVOA, fourth best team in football. What the heck is that? What is that? That's not right. You don't even have a quarterback. You can't be the fourth best team. That's not fair. Point differential for the season. They're the third best team. That ain't fair. Get out of here. Go away. Fortunately, Buffalo's number one in that metric. Um, and in DVOA, they're number two. So Buffalo's better in both of those metrics. So they're, they're unbelievably similar teams going up against each other. Unbelievably similar. There are two teams that are, that, that are when I did my comparison thing, there's just no comps for these two teams because they both have subpar records for being just absolutely dominant, just blowing people out of the water. But I don't like it. What about more recently? They're not that good recently. Buffalo is fourth in the last five weeks. New, New England is number two. Number two in DVOA the last five weeks. Just, can you leave me alone forever? Number one in weighted DVOA. Now, weighted doesn't mean as much because it's only five weeks, but weighted means as we get closer toward the end, we weight those later games even higher than these more recent games. They're number one, which means they're getting even better. Now, for both teams, it's defense. Buffalo's number one and New England is number two, just dominant defenses. But still, I just, I don't, I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't understand it. I don't know why either of these teams are here. I don't know why either of these teams exist, New England in particular. Um... But, but this is also a good game. If you think about the storyline between the Cincinnati Bengals and the Las Vegas Raiders, it's two historically bad teams that have not won a playoff game in, in at least 20 years. Buffalo and New England, it is AFC East supremacy. Buffalo, all right, Tom Brady leaves New England. New England takes a year off to kind of recoup. Buffalo, they're pretty dominant. They got the young quarterback, and they're just pumping their fist, right? Yeah, we're the new team. We're going to go on a reign for 20 years, right? It's like the the Nazi Third Reich. We're going to be here for, what was it, 5,000 years, and it lasted like eight days or something. Something stupid because they suck. Buffalo had like one year of, yeah, we're the best, we're the best. And then they made a playoff appearance. They kind of fell off, but it's like they're young, man. They're ascending. Just wait. They're going to come back next year with a vengeance. And who's waiting at the door? It's the Patriots. They're like, nope, nope. Bill Belichick saw that and is like, nope, we're fast-tracking this. I'm going to go out and buy like four tight ends in free agency and just do some weird wizardry. And everybody watching is like, dude, Bill, are you are you okay, dude? This is kind of weird what you're doing. These, these are kind of weird moves. And then they get Mac Jones, and it's like, Every other quarterback got taken except the one guy that nobody wanted. And Bill's like, yep, I want him. And it's like, oh, shoot. Did we just mess up? Did we just get the wrong one? Bill just took that guy and he seemed fine with it. And I thought I saw a little smirk as he walked away. Was he smirking? Did we take the wrong guy? Did we just trade up for the wrong guy? It can't be Mac, right? That that guy? Granted, he was the highest graded college quarterback uh, via PFF. And he, he was very, very good. But, but he had good wide receivers and he's got like a beer belly. He's not going to be a quarterback. Justin Fields is a six-pack. 
He's got a beer gut. Six-pack or beer gut. Who would you trade up for? Right, guys? Am I, am I crazy here? We took the right guy, right? The six-pack guy? Have you seen his Instagram? He has a million followers. How many does Mac have? Mac doesn't have a million, right? What does he have, 17? Dude, we got the right guy. We got the right guy. Instagram and six-pack. We totally got the right guy. Bill Belichick is, is losing it. But nope, he's, he's, he didn't win the division one year. He couldn't stand it. And so he re-upped his contract with Satan. And here they come roaring back. And guess who's going to win? It's going to be the Patriots. You know why? Because it's Bill Belichick in the playoffs against a still relatively unex- inexperienced team. And Bill Belichick is going to do what he does. He's going to do his wizardry, which is come up with the perfect game plan for the Buffalo Bills. The perfect game plan. And it doesn't even matter what anybody on the team does. It doesn't matter because his plan is perfect. And as long as everybody follows his plan, his subpar team will go up against the superior team and will crush Buffalo because it's what Bill Belichick does. And I hate it and I can't stand it and I'm tired of it. Buffalo is four and a half point favorites. I get it. They're uh, supposedly the better team. Um, but I just, I, I want them to win. I really want them to win so badly. I don't, you know, it's not even because I kind of like Buffalo. I just, I can't, I can't do it. I can't take it anymore. There's only, there's certain teams I cannot tolerate being in the, in the Super Bowl. And granted that list is growing every year and it's going to get to the point where it's like, I hate everybody so much, but Buffalo's not on that list. And if Buffalo makes it to the Super Bowl, I'm happy. If it's Buffalo Bills and Green Bay Packers, that's fine. Granted, if the Bills end up beating the Packers, I'm never going to forgive the Bills and I'm going to hate them forever, which is going to suck because I like the Bills. But I can't stand New England. I can't tolerate. I can't stand them winning in the playoffs. I cannot tolerate them being in the Super Bowl. I'm not going to be able to handle it. Tampa Bay, I can't do it. I cannot do it. I can't do it. I can't handle it. The Chiefs, probably not, but I, I guess I'll get over it. They've been there a little too much, but they only won once. They're, they're, they're borderline. If they get there, this is their last year. San Francisco and Dallas, they both need to just lose. I don't know how they're going to do it, but they both need to lose. Arizona, I don't super care. I don't like Arizona or LA because the whole NFC West bothers me and we've lost too many times to Arizona, but I'm okay with it. LA, I'm okay with it. Pittsburgh, I don't care. Philly, I don't care. Buffalo, I kind of like. The Raiders and the Bengals, I don't care. I cannot tolerate New England or Tampa Bay those are probably my biggest two. Dallas is, I, I know everybody's freaking out about Dallas. I just don't want Dallas to be successful because Mike McCarthy beating Green Bay and Lambeau is something I can't handle. I can't stomach. It's not anti-Mike McCarthy in any way as a person. I just don't want him to be better than the Packers. You go be good over there. You be, go be great as a, as a cowboy over there. I don't really care. And it's not even because I hate the Cowboys. I, Cowboys fans are obnoxious, but I've gotten over 1994. You know what I mean? I've, I've, I've moved on with my life, but, um, yeah, I can't handle that. And San Francisco, I can't handle them either. So those are the teams I just, I, 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 I can't, it's, it's not that they can't win this week, but if we can't lose to them. I can't stomach losing to Dallas, San Francisco, Tampa. I can't stomach seeing New England uh, in the Super Bowl. Kansas City is going to irk me a little bit. Otherwise, do what, do what you got to do. And if Buffalo can knock off New England today, great day. Great day. Perfect day. Perfect day. Doesn't matter. Cincinnati, Las Vegas, Godspeed, best of luck. Don't care. Don't really care. The Raiders, um, I'm probably rooting for the Bengals a little bit because the Raiders kind of annoy me a little. You know, they go too far with the whole, it's kind of like they're trying to be throwback. And granted, this is probably John Gruden being John Gruden. And John Gruden's gone. And that puts a bad taste in your mouth too, just John Gruden being John Gruden. But then they they kind of took, you know, they went out and got Richie Incognito and they go get all the bad boys, right? We're going to get all the, the guys that are castaways, the guys that are a little kooky, you know, and they're going to play some tough football. And yeah, now half of your team is in jail and your coach got fired for, for being, you know, kind of a bad person. 
So all the bad guys got revealed as bad guys and are all gone now. And that's kind of blowing up in your face. But there's a resiliency to it, right? All the bad guys are either gone or in prison, or at least half of them. And now you got a guy who got promoted, seems to be doing a great job as a coach. The team is buying in. They're fighting for him. They're playing good football. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice thing. And then the Bengals, you kind of, it's just like the Lions. You know, it's like, eh, let them have one. The only thing I don't like about the Bengals is um, I'm a little scared that they're going to be a good football team. But that's further down the road. But yes, in, in summary, if Buffalo wins, it's a perfect day. That's it. That's all that has to happen today is for Buffalo to win. Perfect day. But again, very, very similar teams. They are one and one against each other, so you got that whole situation. And the one win the Patriots did have was in that ridiculous game. So if we, if we don't even count that, then you got the New England Patriots, which was the most recent game. Uh, Buffalo won 33-21. to So I don't know, man. I just, I just feel like because, it, you know, playoffs are a different animal. Uh, Bill Belichick being the crafty guy he is, he, he probably went into that game like, I'm not showing them jack because we're going to see these guys again in the playoffs. That's how psychotic he is. It's not that they didn't try, but it's like, uh, and he's just going to, uh, I, I, uh, I can't, I can't, I, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to my thrift store and see if there's a Buffalo Bills anything in that store. I'm going to go buy it. Cannot stand the Patriots. Patriots and Tampa are, are the two that I just can't stand the most. Cincinnati or uh, Cincinnati, Kansas City's probably next, although 49ers and, and Cowboys are, are right in line. But we'll cross that bridge tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow we got uh, the earlier game, Tampa Bay-Philly, go Philadelphia. The game after that, Dallas-San Francisco. That's going to be, I mean, either way, it's 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 good and bad. One of these teams is going to win. That's going to make me sad. One of them's going to going to get eliminated, and I'm just going to do my best attempt at a backflip. And then finally, we got Kansas City-Pittsburgh, which, I mean, that's just stupid. Kansas City's going to annihilate Pittsburgh, and that's going to make me sad. Probably won't even watch it, to be honest. Who am I kidding? I'm going to watch Oh, before we go, I should have done this a long time ago because 95% of people have already tuned out by now, but a couple things to keep an eye on. Number one, I'm contemplating doing some streams during these games. I'm not positive. We'll see how it goes, but it's it's uh, something I'm throwing out there as an idea. Let me know what you think. But one thing we are going to be doing is Sunday prior to the game. So starting at like 11, butting right up to when the game start at noon. This is central time. We're going to be doing another uh, chalk war between Coach Hahn and Mr. Sam Holman. Um, if you were able to watch that video, we got a lot of positive feedback on that. We're going to be doing this one live. So prior to the game, you're looking for something to do to kill a little bit of time before the game start. I know that's always a rough time when it's like, I don't know what to do with myself. I just want football to start. Come on over. Packernet Podcast on YouTube. Go subscribe. Hit the little bell notifications. It'll be a reminder because you're going to forget if you don't do that. But we're going to be doing it live and... Um, I'm not sure how much interaction we're going to have. I'd like there to be maximal interaction, but apparently there was some some feedback that there was too much chatter, too much talking. So we'll kind of play it by ear. I'll mostly stay quiet, but I'll be monitoring the comments um, and whether anybody likes it or not. If you're throwing a little bit of cash in there with your comment, it's getting read. Um, and you, it, it's kind of cool too, because you can ask for clarifications on things and I can butt in and do that. I think I'm going to keep my mouth shut other than responding to pertinent uh, questions, comments, whatever. But if you have clarifications, um, even things like why, why wouldn't you run this scheme or this or whatever, and just kind of get those things going. Um, this is kind of a newer thing that we started. Kind of want to play with it a little bit and see how the format goes. But we had a lot of fun last time. And uh, again, we it, it went, I think, so smoothly that we figured that we could this could definitely be done live. And I wasn't, I was a little skeptical of that at first, but it went, it went perfectly fine. So uh, again, that is going to be Sunday, 11 o'clock Central. Uh, we're going to do a test run tonight just to make sure everything works and we know what we're doing. 
I'll probably also stream that over on Facebook. Um, not positive about that, but you know, I, I want to minimize the risk of failure, but I may be blasting it over on Facebook as well. So anyways, just something to keep an eye on. Otherwise, you guys have yourselves a great day. Go Bills, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye.